Welcome to a Tuesday show here on The People's Show on Sportsnet 650. Glad you can make us part of your day. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotic provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Be part of the show, 650, 650, into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Dunbar Lumber, three sources serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, I'm back on the show today. Voices recovered after a day in uh, Lubin Field and laughing at Satyar Shaw with the Seahawks beating the Browns. Uh, but we're both back today, of course, on the Canucks game day. Wouldn't miss it for the world as they get ready to take on the Nashville Predators tonight uh, will be both on the postgame show later today, but it, it's a Tuesday. You know what happens on Tuesdays. It's jam-packed. We got Mark Schofield. We got Yannick Hansen. We got Bix Best coming up in about 15, 20 minutes, but uh, let's get to it with our good friend from SB Nation. Follow him at Mark Schofield on socials. Uh, NFL writer, QB analyst. Chance for us to, uh, to get smarter here on Tuesdays. Let's talk to him. Mark Schofield. Mark, how are you? I am doing well, Big. Fantastic to be here as, as I am each and every Tuesday. It was a a strange NFL week, but I, I, I think there's obviously lots of ground we can cover there. Very excited about next week, to be honest. But more than anything else, I am excited to be here with you. In in the strangeness of uh, that was week eight, uh, I've been thinking in my head 48 hours of how to phrase this next question. And we'll get to the throw of the week in just a bit here. But uh, the only way I can think of asking this question is, Will Levis? That's tone is the way the way it goes there. Well, what happened with Will Levis? I, I I don't know. And as you said, you're going to ask me about throw of the week in a minute, and that conversation about Mr. Levis will continue when you get to that question. It, I, it, yeah, I, I figured it might. Yeah, I mean, it was a fascinating game. You know, sort of watching it live, and you know, as all the games are unfolding, you got eyes on different games, and you're sort of in and out and things like that. You know, I was like, wow, how is this happening? So I was really excited to sort of dive in on Monday morning and see what it was all about. And then when you watch it, it's like he's either doing one or two things, right? He's either throwing the ball behind the line of scrimmage where you're like, oh, okay, well, yeah, sure. Rookie quarterback making his first start. You're going to sort of simplify things for him, have him check it down, screens and check downs and things like that. So I get it. Or he's just uncorking a deep ball. It's like, okay, well, for a rookie quarterback, maybe that's not what you want to do. You're dialing up double moves and things like that. Although maybe, you know, especially watching what he did and how he performed in the production with four touchdown passes, maybe that is what you should be doing. Because he was either checking it down, throwing it behind the line of scrimmage, or just absolutely letting it rip. And I mean, you know, the the two touchdowns to DeAndre Hopkins, you know, especially the second one, the sort of the, – the well, the third one, where he runs the dig and then goes and it's a double move. It's a great route. The over route, I thought, was a nice ball. The the straight go route along the left side, and that was sort of a vintage D-hop move where kind of gets a little separation at the end of the route and maybe get away with a little bit of a, a, a push-off, but he's able to get to the ball, get to the catch point, and make a play. But it's really that third touchdown pass, the like post-corner, where you know, he's got a defender in his face and just makes an absolutely unreal throw deep downfield that certainly stood out to me. But it was a strange sort of game because he's either thrown behind the line of scrimmage 
or thrown it as far away from the line of scrimmage as he can. All right, so take us through then the throw of the week. Um, is it the one uh, to Hopkins? That, you know, we, we always talk about like throwing to get your receiver open. I imagine it's the deep touchdown. It's a deep touchdown, but it wasn't the one to Hawkins. Oh, okay. it, it was the one to Westbrook, um, where he sort of roll. Levis sort of rolls to his right, and you get the post route that you know it's it's that sort of corner post where the receiver breaks a bit to the outside. It's a safety. You sort of thinking, oh, QB's rolling this way. He's going to break towards the outside on the corner, and then he breaks back to the post. So he ends up going away from Levis, and Levis has to make this throw really with a defender. Well, two defenders, really, sort of in his face. Has to stand in there. He knows a hit is coming. And then so he lets this go from, like, you know, the plus 45-yard line outside the right hash, and it gets down to the back of the end zone, to the uh, well outside the opposite hash, below the numbers. I mean, it's probably, a you know, on paper, say, 45 to, you know, 8 yards deep in the end zone. That's 53 yards. But then you're talking about, you know, outside the right hash mark to below the numbers on the left side, it's probably a 68, 69-yard throw, you know, caught up, dialing up a little Pythagorean theorem right there. <laughs> it's it's just an incredible ball, um, especially with two defenders in his face. And so it was a tremendous performance from him. I was really impressed uh, with how he played in that game. And I would imagine, you know, we're already hearing that he's going to go Thursday night. I would imagine a performance like that pretty much opens the door to him starting the rest of the way for Tennessee. So you mentioned kind of the short passes and the deep balls and, and one leading, obviously, to the throw of the week. Like, how much of this is repeatable? Was it just a adrenaline for one game that you come into, or is this kind of in the Will Levis repertoire? I mean, I think this is in the Will Levis repertoire in the sense that coming out, we figured he had a big arm. Like, that that was one of the things that we knew about him, right? That he had this big arm. You could see it on film. You could see on the, you know, field at Lucas Oil when he was throwing for the combine session that, yeah, he's got the big arm. He'll check that box in the NFL. And so the ability to push the ball downfield isn't something that really sort of surprised me. I think what's going to be interesting is going forward, can he fill out some of the other stuff? You know, at some point, you're going to have to maybe attack the middle of the field underneath. And he had the one cross route touchdown to Hopkins, but can he do more of that? If you look at his sort of passing chart, his spray chart, a lot of stuff, again, behind the line of scrimmage, a lot of stuff downfield. Can he color in the middle between those two? That's what I'm curious to see going forward, Vic. And I think he could do that. If you if you look back at Kentucky, yes, the arm really sort of stood out. But one of the things I remember really liking about him was his ability to get to the dig route, to throw the dig route, to sometimes hit the backside dig. And we've talked about the dig route and the backside dig over the past couple of years and how in this sort of too high world we're living in where, you know, so much is done against two safety coverages with, you know, cover four or cover two, get into the backside dig and hitting that when you come off of a front side concept that gets taken away, it's a big part of playing quarterback in the NFL today. And if he can start doing that on a consistent basis, like he did at times at Kentucky, while still being able to hit on the deep stuff and still checking it down and getting stuff underneath, that would be really good for his development. Talking to Mark Schofield, as we do here on Tuesdays on The People's Show. Uh, all right, we, we've had the conversation of, you know, best QB in the NFL, and I've come into this season of you know, Patrick Mahomes is a, a gap between a lot of people. Um, are we finally seeing a bit of competition for number two here? It feels like Trevor Lawrence is finally kind of 
putting himself in, in, in that conversation as the second-best QB in the league because that's a, a tough one on the road in those conditions in Pittsburgh. Yeah, tough one on the road in those conditions. You know, and he had the sort of head-scratching interception, which, you know, sometimes it happens in those conditions, and that's a very good Steelers defense. But, you know, gets the win, and if it wasn't for Levis, his touchdown to ETN was probably the throw of the week. Uh, because it's that sort of cover two hole shot, but the safety did a very good job at sniffing out that route and jumping it. And with the angle that that safety took, nine times out of 10, that's a pick. But Lawrence has the ability to drive that throw with velocity, but still get enough on it to get it over that safety and get it to ETN. It's a it's this is one of those throws that when you talk about the idea of arm talent, right? Because you know, people are like sometimes, what do you mean by arm talent? Does that just mean like arm strength? And it's like, no, there there's more to it. It's trajectory, it's getting the ball where it needs to be, what it needs to be, it's feel, it, it's all those kinds of things, right? And this was a throw like that because if it's just a like a half a foot lower on this throw, it's an interception. If it's maybe, you know, 12, 10 inches lower, it's at least a deflection. Like, you have to get it in perfectly, but you've still got to get it down to ETN. Like, if you wildly throw it over the safety set, it's probably sailing out of bounds. And so it was just a, a great read, a great throw, an aggressive decision. And in terms of getting himself into that sort of QB2 conversation, yeah, I think we're, we're at that moment right now. You know, because certainly there are other talented quarterbacks, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson. You know, the league has a lot of good quarterbacks right now. But when you're seeing the way that Trevor Lawrence can not just throw the ball like this play, but spread it around, attack you at all levels, make plays on the move, make plays with his legs, he checks a lot of boxes that we value right now at the QB position. So this was a very good game for him, very big game from him. And again, if it were not for Will Levis and a rookie making his debut and having that kind of success, this would have been your throw of the week. Yeah, the, that, that conversation right now is so fascinating to me. You mentioned uh, Burrow. We've talked about Lamar. And then you throw in Josh Allen. It's, you know, the, those four or five guys uh, are really making an exciting time. Let's touch on Burrows because speaking of being in difficult spots, uh, on the road, 49ers, and they've just gone out and acquired Chase Young as well. So they are loaded up as far as their defense. But – as far as Joe Burrow, uh, you know, we kind of had this conversation, is he back? Is a performance like that rest any concerns of what the first three works, weeks are? And now we can project what we thought the Bengals were going to look like the rest of the way? I think so. I think so. And, and just as an aside, that Chase Young trade for San Francisco, I mean, do they really need another incredibly yeah. talented pass rusher? Apparently, and I would not like to be a Seattle Seahawks fan right now, you know, with that kind of news coming down because you know what that front is going to look like down the stretch. But – now, with respect to Burrow, this was sort of the, like, okay, I'm back performance, right? And I know a couple of weeks ago, we wrote about it at SB Nation. A lot of people were having the conversation, what do the Bengals do? You know, they've got the losing record. They've got two games, you know, Arizona, Seattle, before they go to their bye week, right? And you're thinking, you know, what are we going to do? What are they going to do? Are they going to sit Joe Burrow down and let him rest? Are they going to, you know sort of tank the season and get ready for next year. There was some of the thought that maybe this is a time to do that. Maybe this was a situation to realize, you know what? We're not going to get to where we want to be right now. We've got this losing record. It looks bad. Burrow's hurt. We've got the Niners and the Bills coming out of the bye. 
maybe this is a time to sort of reset and think about 24. Well, they went the exact opposite direction. They kept playing Burrow. They get the two wins before the bye. They come out of the bye, then they have a game like this against a team that many thought was perhaps one of, if not the best team in the NFL, against a defense that many thought was, if not one of the best defenses in the NFL, maybe the best defense in the NFL. And it was a performance where you saw the little pocket mobility, the ability to extend plays, things that we thought from Burrow he wasn't going to be able to do because of that calf injury. You also saw, for example, some more under center concepts in the offense, some under center play action plays. They only ran like three of them or something like that, but they only, they had like 14 under center plays in this game. They had like 15 in all the weeks prior. Like they're starting to expand the playbook, which I think is big. Their defense played extremely well. And so I think this was a very good performance for Cincinnati, sort of that we're back, Burrow's back. They've got, again, some tough games coming up. They get the Bills, they get the Ravens, they've got the Jags in a couple of weeks. And so we'll still see where they are going forward. But to get back to where they are right now, to get back to four and four, and to sort of say, you know, we're back, Burrow's back, it was a big sort of statement game for them. Uh, the Eagles explode in the, the the fourth quarter. Now it was it was aided by some some short fields there uh, near the end, but nevertheless, it, like this relationship of Jalen Hurts and AJ Brown, it, it's it's reemerging this year, and it's been going six games now where AJ Brown's dominating. You know, w- what does AJ Brown open up for Jalen Hurts that is unique to this offense that we don't see across the league? I think in many ways. Oh, and. Uh, Bengals are four and three, not four and four. I, mi- I missed that, so I want to just hit that. But in, in many ways, it's chemistry. It's the importance of that relationship between a quarterback and a receiver, and it gets down to the idea of trust. You know, when and I remember a couple of years ago, writing about Burrow and Jamar Chase and the re- relationship that those two have. And I pulled in some quotes from former quarterbacks in, in books that they had written, Ken Anderson, Joe Montana, talking about the importance of having trust in your receiver. So you don't have to think, you just throw. You don't have to think, are they going to be where I expect them to be? You just throw. And that's what the Eagles have with Hurts and A.J. Brown. There's that built-in trust, that built-in chemistry, that understanding that when it's third and seven and I'm going to run this route or I'm going to want to throw this route, A.J. Brown is going to be where I expect him to be. Or when we see this coverage, we're going to read it the same way. You look around the rest of the league, as you sort of mentioned, like, again, sort of a different scenario, different, you know, situation, but you look at the Green Bay Packers offense and they're struggling to find that chemistry. They're struggling to find that trust. You're struggling to see Jordan Love and Christian Watson and other receivers get on the same page when they see a particular coverage or when they run a particular concept. You know, receivers doing one thing, quarterbacks expecting another. With A.J. Brown, it hurts you enough to worry about that. They're always on the same page. And then, you know, the other thing, I think this was an important aspect to this trade when the Eagles made it, he opens up the middle of the field, which is an area where Hurts, you know, going into last year, wasn't as strong attacking as he was downfield, as he was along the sidelines and outside the numbers. And he also opens up opportunities for Devonta Smith. He opens up... You know, situations where you can move Smith around and get him a more favorable matchup. You know, and I also think Washington probably could have done things a little bit differently. I mean, you know, they probably could have structured their coverages and things like that a little bit differently. But it's really at the core that trust between quarterback and receiver that the Eagles have with these two that makes their offense go in the passing game. 
Uh, you, you mentioned kind of a strange week eight, and we saw some big performances. So uh, you know, we, we do focus on the throw of the week, but like, what to you was the best performance? Well, whether it be someone reclaiming a little bit of shine or what, was it kind of Dak Prescott, obviously Will Levis we mentioned, um, Tua, he put up 320 and uh, three touchdowns as well. Like, What really stood out to you that, that is impactful for what the season could be uh, for, uh, for these next 10 weeks? Yeah, I mean, I think two against New England, mostly because he threw an early interception in that game. And, you know, maybe in years past, you might have thought more along the lines of, oh, well, this is it. New England's going to take advantage and they're going to roll in this game. And it's probably hard to sort of have that kind of belief now, given the struggles they're having on offense. But it's that quick window where you're like, oh, I wonder how he's going to respond. And he responds by, you know, three touchdowns and going out and beating Bill Belichick again and throwing for... 300 yards. You know, I think Hurts with the four touchdown performance, again, with a bit of a banged up knee as well against, for whatever reason, the commanders seem to play the Eagles tough. You know, they've been close games in the past, past couple of seasons. I think that was a very good performance as well. You know, Dak, Benjamin Solak, for example, at the Rainer Road on Monday, his sort of recap of, uh, of the Sunday action, that this was a performance that got him to believe again in Dallas, in the Cowboys, in Dak, and four touchdowns will do that. I also think that the Rams, while Aaron Donald is Aaron Donald, and he's one of one, that's a secondary that's a bit thin right now. Special teams played a big role in that game. I'm tempted to say Justin Herbert, but I still feel like anytime we bring up Herbert right now, anytime we bring up the Chargers right now, it's Lucy, it's Charlie Brown, it's the football, and it's... I want to believe, I still want to believe, but I'm wary of it. You know, but I, I think Tua, I think Jalen, and even to some extent, Sam Howell. And I know, look, this is deadline day and it's just wrapped up, but we've seen the commanders trade away Chase Young. We've seen him trade away Montez Sweat. You know, you do wonder if they're sort of getting ready to make a run of the QB in next year's draft. Maybe, but I think Howell has at least opened the door to, hey, you know what? Give me another year here. I think his performance against the Eagles, against a very good team, you know, throwing for 397 and four touchdowns and only taking the one sack, which has been a big area of concern with him, I think at least it opens the door to his future in Washington. The Seahawks, Geno, has kind of a a weird day, two touchdowns, two interceptions as well. Um, Now, one of them came in critical, like, situational football near the end of the half. Um, Against that defense, you know, what did you see from Geno? Because it started really hot, but then it was just survival at the end. Yeah, but I, I think the overall theme, Beck, of this week was teams finding ways to win. I mean, there were teams like the Kansas City Chiefs that they have the clunker and they end up losing it. Or a couple of weeks ago, the Buffalo Bills, they have the clunker and they end up losing it. Then you have a team like, say, Jacksonville, perhaps, that has a bit of a clunker against Pittsburgh, but they find a way to win that game. And against this Browns defense, you know, if Cleveland had come in and and won that game, people might have said, well, it's a very good Browns defense. And even though they've got P.J. Walker and their offense is sort of scuffling a little bit, that that's understandable that you lose that game. But they didn't. They found a way to win that game. And, and, you know, yeah, a little bit of an up-and-down performance, but... You find a way to win at the edge. You get the you know catch and run from Noah Fant, an absolutely huge play in that moment. You get yourself into field goal range, but instead of just settling for three and potentially overtime, you find a way to get in the end zone. You get that touchdown late. I think it's a performance then when you look back on wherever they end up at the end of the season. You know, if they end up 
perhaps win the West, you might look back at this game and say, hey, you know, they found a way to win. Our quarterback found a way to get us in position to win that game against a very good defense. You'll take that any week. Uh, you know, we, we do always talk about, like, complementary football and how the offense supports the defense and vice versa. Um, I, I do want to touch on Zach Wilson, what the New York Jets are doing. It's, the, like, they're 4-3. and three. They're in the picture. The reason I bring it up is because they, they might play a role in this wild card race here. Um, like, did that game set football back at all? But, like, what does Zach Wilson need to do to, to, to play complementary football? And, or, or is he doing it? I think he's doing it for the most part. And he has gotten better. Um, and, and again, it's still like you look at, you know, the completion percentage over expectation and EPA composite that Ben Baldwin puts together. Um, he's at the bottom five of the league in that category still. But he's gotten better. The play fakes are better. There's more decisiveness. He's getting the ball out quicker. He's taking better care of the football again, still turning it over from time to time, but taking better care of the football. And again, finding a way to win a, a game where you know, the sort of win percentage and win probability for the Giants was something like 99.9% with, you know, less than a minute to go. They found a way to get it to overtime. They get the big play they need to get into field goal range. They win it in OT. And I think that speaks to not just his sort of growth and improvement, but the fact that, you know, when a coach comes to the podium and says, look, we still believe in Zach Wilson, like Robert Sala did, you know, when Rodgers went down and everybody sort of laughed at it, myself included, like, you went out and moved heaven and earth to get Aaron Rodgers. You don't believe in him. But when you see performances like this, it makes it seem like, you know what, they they weren't just blowing smoke in our direction. They do sort of believe that, look, we can win games with him at quarterback. And again, finding a way to win, that's what they did. They've got a lot of talent on that team, a lot of talent on the defense side of the ball, offensive skill positions. If you could just get and I said this before the Zach Wilson, the Aaron Rodgers move. You know, if you could have just gotten average or even below average quarterback play last year, that's a playoff team. Well, if they could just get Zach Wilson to sort of average or even just a bit below average, this could be a playoff team this season. All right. You mentioned uh, week number nine. What are you looking forward to? Well, in strange contrast, this was a weird slate of games we had, you know, in week eight. Week nine's got some some really sort of fascinating games to look ahead to because, you know, you look at, for example, the game we're going to see in Germany, you know, Dolphins, Chiefs. Bright and early. Bright and early. That's going to be big for a number of things. How how does Kansas City bounce back? I mean, you've got the Pat Mahomes sort of flu game in the cold and the snow against Denver. Now you got to travel. So you've got playing at altitude and you're sick. Now you've got to travel overseas and play. How, how does he fare? How does he bounce back? How does Tua look? So that's going to be certainly a fascinating game to watch. Now, I'm really intrigued. Seattle-Baltimore. That's a really good game, sort of an, on, an early slate kind of game. Then there's the two big ones to close out the day. You get Dallas-Philadelphia. You got Bengals-Bills. We've got some really big and actually critical games this week. You know, these four that I just touched on. So it's going to be a fascinating week. Can't wait to see it all this weekend. Can't wait to break it all down with you next week. Absolutely, Mark. We appreciate it as always. We'll talk soon. Thanks so much, my friend. Enjoy the games this weekend.
All right, that's why he's the best, at Mark Schofield. If you're not already following him, make sure you do over at SB Nation. All right, let's get to, we do it every Tuesday, it's the Power Ranks getting ready for Week 9. Is there a change at number 1? Are we finally moving the Chiefs now that they've lost with Travis Kelsey and Chris Jones back in the lineup? Is there a change at the top? But we got to get to 10 to get to the top before then. Let's start it now. The Jaguars come in at 10. I like the win over the weekend. I know it was picking Pittsburgh, but that's a big one for Jacksonville. Going into that spot, they hold on to the 10 spot, fend off the Cowboys despite their big win, and also they're improving, making this trade today to shore up the offensive line. They just need more regular bodies to be able to feature it on this offensive line. Keep Trevor Lawrence upright because as he continues to get better this season, their stock will rise in this as well. Number nine, Detroit Lions. Another good win last night. It's more about the, the quality of competition for them to push up. I keep the Bills at number eight. Big Thursday night win, but a team does leapfrog them here, and that is the Cincinnati Bengals. Look, they are back it looks like. Uh, we'll see more evidence if they can push into the top five. But right now, it is real close between the Bengals and the Seahawks at number six. They survive. To be honest, I probably knocked them down a little bit on their overall grade. They retain at number six, but they a little iffy over the weekend. They should have been able to seal that one much earlier. They ultimately do get the win. Difficult circumstances against that Brown defense, but potential signs of worry for the Seahawks stability here long term they do go and get Leonard Williams though which is a nice plus Dolphins go to number five also a team to watch here we talked to Mark mentioned hey, the early pick two obviously does respond but what does it look like moving forward for the Dolphins as they try to step up in class later on in the season as well Ravens get their win give up a bunch of points late i'm not too concerned about that even though it did go against us in big six they hold at number four but let's see him play someone that isn't the arizona cardinals they get the seahawks this week this is where it gets interesting i've changed the grade on the final three teams here the 49ers they're improved and again it's razor thin between the 49ers and the last two teams philly and kc i'll let you know who finishes one in just a second it's nothing it's it's thinner than a piece of paper you add in chase young which is mind-bendingly good already but you did lose and i drop them a little bit as far as their grade but it is so thin between the chiefs at two the 49ers at three and the eagles now at number one we can sit here and pick apart and be like oh is jalen hurts progressing and the offense looks like it stirs sometimes they keep winning they keep winning, and so I will put the Eagles over at number one. The Chiefs, I'm chalking it up mostly to Mahomes being ill, but nevertheless, you did lose a divisional game, so they have to slide to number two. So that is Eagles, Chiefs, 49ers, Ravens, Dolphins, Seahawks, Bengals, Bills, Lions, Jaguars. For Bix Best, more on the way here on the People Show. Yannick Hansen, minutes away here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.